Welcome back to Queer and Company in the home stretch of the playoff push for both the Colts and a lot of teams around the AFC. We'll cover a lot of different ground in terms of that playoff race and look at top teams around the whole conference as well as the whole league with our next guest, Luke Easterling. Does a great job covering the NFL at Athlon Sports. You've heard him on these very airways before. Luke, how are you on a Wednesday? Doing great, guys. It's uh, it's a nice like sixty one degrees down here in Tampa, so uh, not not bad for December. Come on, man. <laughs> hey, on. I gotta ha- I gotta use what I got, man. See me in August when we can't go outside because it's too hot. <laughs> well, Luke, thanks for joining us. We uh, hope you have a good hot. No, I'm just kidding. No, you're right. You know, I, so what? Let me ask you this, Luke. Did you grow up in like Florida? Like, where did you grow up? Yeah, born and raised here. Born and raised here. Outside of a, a few months, I lived in uh, Georgia. A few months, I lived up in northern Kentucky. I played some college ball up there. Um, but most, most, most of it all has been down here in the in the greater Tampa area. Because I mean, look, my I've got family in St. Pete. Like most people in Indiana, have family in Florida somewhere, right? right. So it's a gr- obviously a great area. But I am curious of this before we get talking football, since you brought it up, because all of us could use that sunshine for like a weekend just to get like that little dose of energy in the wintertime. So advantage Tampa for sure, but I am curious of this, and I guess you wouldn't know any different, but is it weird to have for like a 36-hour window, is it weird to have Christmas like in shorts and a t-shirt? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I hate it. I hate it. Like, I, I, I understand that I speak out of ignorance having only experienced winter. Like I said, I lived in like northeast kentucky and so it it snowed a few times that winter and and got into the teens and 20s and and had a snowball fight here and there but i I don't know what it's like to like live through like a real winter uh every year and and have to deal with that um but it i i mean i've been here for so long that i really do get tired of the uh the 87 degree christmas mornings it's just it doesn't it kills some of the vibe man i'd I'd love to have a a white christmas i'd love to have uh you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I hate it. I, I hate that it's always hot on Christmas. And I respect you saying that because I, I do think that when you live, like I've lived in a cold weather climate my entire life, predominantly in Indianapolis, but I do think that, and I hate winter, Luke, I hate it. Not because of the cold, but the lack of sunshine itself. But I think everybody that hates winter still, at least at Christmas time, appreciates the fact that it's truly Christmas. You know what I mean? So I was always I, curious. Yeah, I that. agree. I think they should. Advantage you guys. Um, hey, let's get to this in the NFL. I, I wanted to ask you, kind of generically speaking, to begin. When the NFL season is very cyclical, and, and you have at times, you know, like in October, the team that people are like, "Holy cow!" Print, you know, print the trophy now. You know, engrave it now. Right. It, it, and, and obviously, there are waves due to injuries and, and just conf, you know all kinds of things. Who has been the? Give me the maybe the two the two teams that have been the most consistently top teams so far this season? Is it the obvious, or is there somebody that's like, look, you don't talk about them, but they have been playing at the same level from basically week one, so advantage them? I mean, honestly, the the team that comes to mind that might not be obvious to, you know, because there's such a logjam there at the top of the AFC, but I, I feel like that team is Baltimore. I feel like if I was going to go with consistency – with the way they've performed against some of the better teams they play, go look at what Lamar Jackson did to that that fully healthy Cleveland defense earlier in the season. Go look at what they did to Detroit. Uh, I think the week after Detroit uh, put it on somebody else. You know, I think you know to watch a team like Detroit do what they did start the season against Kansas City and play really well, and then Baltimore to just roll in there and just smack them around. Um, 
you know, and, and, and obviously being healthy helps with some of that. Uh, but they've had a, a few injuries as well. Uh, the, the fact that that offense has continued to grow, it's continuing to put up points, despite the fact that Ronnie Stanley, their top tackle, has been out for a bit. Uh, obviously, they don't have Mark Andrews right now. I mean, that's the team that I think, and again, the way they can win games, that the passing game has finally been opened up a little bit under Todd Munkin, the new OC, and they still have the ground game to get it done. Gus Edwards and now Keaton Mitchell, the, the rookie undrafted free agent, they've got kind of a thunder and lightning backfield now to go along with, with Lamar Jackson. I feel like the, the fact that they can beat anybody any way they want to beat them, and, and especially because they can run the ball so well, this is the time of year you've got to be able to win on the ground and win with defense. They're the team that I think I would have the most confidence in being able to go through a, a playoff gauntlet and, and consistently win in any type of way. Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports is our guest. Luke, when you look at the bottom half of the playoff teams or hopeful playoff teams in the AFC, it's a it's a quarterback slaughterhouse, effectively, with backup QBs yeah. just across the board trying to lead their teams and in some cases right the ship for a time or two until healthier options come back. When you look at this setup, and we'll take Jacksonville out of the equation because it looks like if they stay afloat, they'll get Trevor Lawrence back at some point this year. So let's right. assume that's the diagnosis. When you look at the rest of the AFC with all these backup quarterbacks in Pittsburgh, here in Indy, in Cleveland, Cincinnati, who has the best chance to make it out alive over these final five weeks? You know, I mean, it's tough. The AFC North is weird. Um, you know, they've got some stars on, on either side of the ball in certain places, but nobody has, I feel like, the, the complete package. And I mean, I feel like if you look at Indy on the surface, you're like, they should probably, they might have the, mo- the, the least amount of talent on paper compared to some of these teams, especially with the other injuries they're dealing with, with Jonathan Taylor um, and some others. But I, I don't know. I feel like there's, I feel like there's something to the the fact that that Indy has has already had Gardner Minshew in the building and has been doing this for for longer than I think some of these teams that are kind of having to deal in, with these quarterback injuries and, and roll with them later in the season. I feel like there's a comfort level with Indy, particularly on offense, that they know that that Gardner can get them there, that he's their guy, that he's been the guy for the rest of the season for a while now, ever since they knew Anthony Richardson was going to miss the rest of the year. And I don't know, man, they just, when a team finds a way to win games over and over and over again in ways that they probably shouldn't, um, that's a team that starts to, to, to pique my interest. And I think that, that applies to Indy. And again, speaking this as a Bucks guy down here in Tampa and watching how they won that game, watching how they won this past week, um, you know, that's a team that is galvanized. That's a team that kind of knows who they are and has an identity. And that's kind of rare under a first year head coach, right? It usually takes a lot of time to establish that. Heck, the Bucks still don't have one. I don't think uh, outside of throw Mike Evans the ball uh, and, and Todd Bowles has been here for quite a while. So I don't know, man, I, you know, I'm not just trying to blow smoke uh, for, for Colts fans on the airwaves here in, in Indy, but man, I, I just, I look at a team that, that knows who they are, that knows how to, to play for and around the quarterback they do have. Uh, and, and everybody feels like they're, they're pulling their weight there. And I think that's a, a dangerous thing to be going in, to this stretch when you look at some of those other teams and the fact that they're still trying to figure those things out. Luke, we could use smoke. It's 35 degrees, man. I mean, come on, right? Fair enough. We'll, Fair take, enough. we'll take all you can get. Hey, I like to ask national guys this, which you obviously are, uh, Luke Easterling from Athlon Sports. In terms of perceptions, in terms of like thought word association – when you think about the Indianapolis Colts in 2023 right now, 
give me the the two franchises that in terms of their competitiveness, in terms of their competency, in terms of their trajectory, give me the two teams in the NFL that you think of on the same bar, on the same plane as Indianapolis. I mean, I think aspirationally when they're – are you talking like in general if, if Anthony Richardson is included? No, if, like right now where they are. For another – like right, so so this right season this you'd say, hey, San Fran is on par with like, you know, San Fran, Philly, and Dallas are like in a grouping together. Right, Just right, in right. terms of like how – like in other words, the outside perception of the Colts is that they are mirrored by or they are contemporaries of these franchises right now. I mean, I think you look at those other teams that they're fighting with in the playoffs, right? You You've got – Pittsburgh and Cleveland in particular, and then Cincinnati to a lesser degree, you got teams that are trying to ride with backup quarterbacks, and they're doing it what? They're doing it with, with timely playmaking on third down. They're doing it with, with you know, creating big plays on defense and playing stingy enough, and they're doing it with, they're with, doing it with great coaching. And I, I think Pittsburgh has struggled in that situation, obviously, on offense in particular, but they've got stability overall in a big-picture way from Mike Tomlin being there as long as he has, never having had a losing season. Um, and you look at Cincinnati, they've obviously been to the playoffs. Everybody's dealing with things in a different way. Um, but I feel like they're in that group, right, where where they they have a chance to do something special, even though everybody would have written them off as soon as, you know, Richardson got hurt and all would just, you know, wait for next season and punt and, you know, develop some other guys. Um, but, but that's kind of where I would put them in, in, that, in that group of teams that has – has some pieces in in place to be competitive, but I think have have overachieved compared to that perception, especially earlier in the year, that this was just going to be a punt year and move on. They're clearly one of multiple teams in that range that that is not taking that lightly, and they're they're fighting for a playoff spot. Are Pittsburgh and Cincinnati like I feel like Houston? has upward trajectory and that's why they are where they are and indianapolis has upward trajectory and that's why they are where they are whereas like cincinnati for example is with indianapolis but it kind of feels like they're backpedaling a little bit maybe i'm selling them short on their their weapons outside the quarterback um pittsburgh also feels like they're on that ice that like you can hear it going and you you feel like it's about to crack underneath them um are, are those teams solidly do you think I mean, I know they are solidly, but you get what I'm saying. Like, are they going to stick around here, or are we going to see one of these teams start to fade? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting in terms of trajectory is Cincinnati feels like they're sliding back because they start they they got so so high so quick, right? In recent years, you got you know you got to the Super Bowl and you kept getting back to the ACC title game, and you kept you know watching Joe Burrow beat you know Patrick Mahomes, so. I think part of the part of the equation for them too is that they've already paid their quarterback. They've paid Joe Burrow, so the window time is ticking now. You know that once you pay that star quarterback, you're not going to have as much money to spread around to these other guys. So, you know the fact that they have both Chase and Higgins. Higgins is probably not going to be there if they want to be able to afford anything else next year. So, you know that receiver room is going to be depleted. That's where I start to think of. I know it's it it feels a little bit different just to talk about this year, but that window for Cincinnati feels a bit more urgent. So I feel like every loss, every injury is exponential for a team like that. Pittsburgh might be the worst best team in the league. I mean, if you watch them on a weekly basis and then look at their record, and this happened to them a few years ago. Remember when they were like 11 and 0 and they were just they never looked good. You're like, how does this team keep winning football games over and over and over again and then they got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs, which wasn't really surprising, but Pittsburgh feels like that to me. They they continue to win in spite of themselves somehow. Um, and and Sunday's game against Arizona was just a prime example. They lose to to the team that had the second worst record in the league at the time. And they do it at home. 
I mean, that, that shows you, I think, to, to speak to your point and to see that they seem to be you know, receding a bit, whereas a team like Indianapolis, even a team like Houston, like you mentioned, they feel like they're moving forward. That's kind of what I attribute that to. I feel like we all know the answer is Mike Tomlin and some kind of witchcraft there, but that's 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 all I have yeah, in, maybe, in that maybe, regard yeah. in terms of in terms of Pittsburgh being able to do that year over year. Jake brought up Cincinnati, and that brings into the conversation Jake Browning. When you look at what he's done in relief of Burrow, obviously he's not Joe Burrow, but there's weapons still there. Zach Taylor's a good coach. They've been able to still work things offensively. Earlier today, Zach Taylor noted that what he was most impressed with with Jake Browning was of his five incompletions, two drops, two tip balls, and one was a throwaway. When you look at that comment and what you've seen out of Browning the last couple of weeks, is that a coach just going to bat for his guy, or is Browning competent enough to keep the Bengals in the playoff conversation and ultimately maybe squeaking in in that seven spot? No, I think I think what you saw, particularly Monday night, was was a great plan executed by a competent quarterback, and and I think they prepared him and and got him in situations. Honestly, the most confusing things they they did all night was when they stopped letting him throw the ball. Uh, and you know they had you know the terrible interception on a on a wide receiver pass when he was playing extremely efficiently. That was not the time to try to pull those things out, and and I feel like. When, when they did their worst, when they took the ball out of his hands almost. So, uh, you know, I, I kudos to him for distributing the ball and doing it well. But you, you saw his confidence grow throughout the game also. Early in the game, he was completing all of his passes, but they were, I think he was like, you know, seven of nine for like 35 yards at one point in the first quarter of the first half. And you're like, okay, this is how it's going to be. And then, bang, he gets he gets a one-on-one and he chucks it deep and, and hits, you know, Jamar Chase on that awesome touchdown deep. That that showed a building of confidence. We're like, hey, I've, I've found myself a rhythm. I've got a good matchup. I'm going to sling it and start to, you know, and go back and watch his film at Washington. I mean, he, he, he's no slouch. He, he knows what he's doing. I think it just takes a little bit of time to get into that rhythm and be like, no, I can do it at this level. Uh, and once he hit that big shot, I think he, he realized, hey, we've got something here. And I think that shows, again, it was a great plan during the week, I would imagine, that, that tried to, to mold everything to his strengths and not ask too much of him. And then once he got in that rhythm through the first, second quarter, finally found the confidence to start taking those bigger shots. And, and the results speak for themselves. They won that game. He put up big numbers, uh, made some clutch plays when they needed to be made, uh, and made up for those mistakes. When they had a big play or a big mistake, like that interception to set them up deep in their own territory, he always brought them back and, and did enough to win the game. Luke Easterling is our guest from Athlon Sports. Uh, Luke, Shane Steichen, is he in the mix for Coach of the Year? I mean, he's got to be, right? I mean, a first-year guy that comes in, you lose the quarterback that you guys spent all offseason kind of building everything around who is, is not Gardner Minshew in terms of skill set, right? You're not talking about, uh, you know, taking out one guy that can do a certain amount of things and then putting in another guy who can do those same things, just maybe not at that level. These guys are very, very different quarterbacks. And to be able to adjust to that on the fly, to deal with the fact that, again, your your star running back is, is you know, dealing with the contract situation and then he's dealing with injuries and you got all these things going on. Um, you know, that the defense has been hit or miss every week, but the fact that he's kept things together through all of that and, and been able to, to put a winning product on the field in his first season as a head coach, I absolutely would put him in that conversation. I'm going to play spoiler here for folks. Okay. You've got out like way in advance. So I'll give you uh, some kudos here on the prep work, a mock draft for the April draft. Obviously a million things can happen, right? Luke, Correct. But you've got your first one out. 
I, I think we know for all, right now at least, everybody knows that the top two guys are going to be the two quarterbacks, Caleb Williams out of USC and then obviously May out of North Carolina. You've got Williams going number one to Chicago. Assuming that that is going to be the case, a lot can happen, I realize. But I'm curious your thought on this. Is that because Williams is such a talent that they can't bypass him, or is it because they are indeed ready to turn the page and move on from Justin Fields? I think, honestly, what that will come down to is, is what they do with the coaching staff in the offseason. Uh, I think if they, if they bring in a new coaching staff, I mean, history tells us that more often than not, the, the new coaching staff is going to want to head, handpick their own franchise quarterback, right? That's, that's the way it is. And part of that will be financial, too. Because even if you want Justin Fields to be your guy, you're only really a year away from having to pay him $100-plus plus million in an extension. So you got to think about it from a salary cap perspective as well. And so their, their options are to, you know, sure, if we want to build around Justin Fields, we stay at number one, we take Marvin Harrison Jr. and give him a, a super, another star wide receiver and we continue to build that way. Uh, or we trade down again because both Caleb, and Will, Caleb Williams and Drake May will, will cost more for another team to go up and get – than Bryce Young would have last year when they got that big haul from the Panthers to go from, from one to nine for Bryce Young. They'll be able to ask more of that this year. But if none of, none of that matters, if they bring in a new coaching staff who's like, hey, you know, Fields, Fields played well down the stretch, but again, that'll benefit them if he does that anyway because then they'll trade him and, and get more for him. But a new coaching staff would probably come in. They'd spend all offseason working out both of those quarterbacks, and, and I just can't see a new coaching staff coming in with the opportunity to choose between Williams and May and not wanting to restart that clock on the on the rookie contract and, and start over again with a, a much cheaper uh, number for your starting quarterback and find the guy that best fits whatever that offense is going to be, uh, as opposed to sticking with Fields, which, again, I'd love to see him get an opportunity elsewhere where he'll finally get a chance to develop. I, doesn't, it, Justin Fields. doesn't it kind of feel like if, if Chicago moves on from Fields that he has shown – like I, I think he's going to kind of benefit, Luke, from the narrative or the thought – that the Bears might be as guilty as he in terms of it not really taking off and just not getting the stability around him. And he's shown enough flash that, you know, like a Sam Darnold, he's going to get a chance somewhere else to, to, to prove that it may not have been all him. You agree yeah, with that? And I th- I, yeah, I think he should. I, I think it's been nowhere near all on him. And, and again, having I never played the position at that level, but I played it enough to know what happens in the pocket when you can't trust what's happening in front of you and what's happening around you and what's happening in the headset, right? So I feel like I could go on, I could do a whole segment on, on how that franchise has failed his development in terms of team building, in terms of coaching, uh, and, and how that impacts a quarterback's play, both in terms of poor mechanics, when you can't trust the offensive line, your mechanics get sloppy, you start dropping your eyes, you can't trust what's happening around you, that makes you play poorly. And so I, I would love to see him get a chance outside of Chicago where he'll have a better supporting cast fewer expectations because he has, you know, he was a high first round pick in a, in a, in a franchise and city that hasn't had a franchise quarterback in a long, long time. You know, I would love to see him get a chance with, with less pressure, with more resources around him. And then people will see that uh, I don't think it was really him at all. Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. NFL writer for Athlon Sports, Luke Easterling, is our guest. Luke, when you look at the NFC, 
Is it a two-horse race between Philadelphia and San Francisco, or should we really be considering the idea that Detroit or Dallas could represent the conference in February? No, I, I definitely think that, that those four teams, maybe not equal footing, but it's it's a 60-minute league. It's a 60-minute game. And and all, all you have to do is, is play the right 60 minutes at the right moment. Um, and again, I always bring this back to the Bucks because it's what I'm experiencing down here. But go back and look at their Super Bowl run with Tom Brady. They went in as an 11-5 and team on a hot streak and had to go on the road in Washington, had to go on the road in New Orleans against Drew Brees, had to go on the road against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay before they got to, to Green Bay or before they got to the Super Bowl and, and demolished Kansas City. You just play right at the right time, and any of those teams have the talent, have the quality, have the coaching, I feel like, that if, if, they get, if you get them on the right or wrong day, they'll make you pay for it. I mean, go back and look last week. We wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily consider San Francisco to be that much better than Philly, but they did that on the field because they played the better 60 minutes. So I feel like there have been moments in, for each of these teams this season where they've looked like the best team in the NFC, and when you can say that, I think you've got to consider the fact that they should all be in that conversation. Luke, other than the mock draft, which you just put out, tell me what else you got upcoming here in terms of your NFL coverage at AthlonSports.com. Yeah, I mean, we've got, obviously, it's a draft season for most of the league. If you look ahead, uh, we've, we've already uh, we've got a ton of scouting reports on Athlon Sports. We've got over 100 already on some of the top prospects. Uh, so we're already uh, knee-to-waist-deep in, in getting you uh, acquainted with some of the top prospects in the uh, draft class. Obviously, we got bowl season coming up, so we'll be all over that, both from a college football perspective and then looking ahead uh, in terms of scouting those guys for the next level. We'll have everything for the, the, you know, the college football playoff as well. Um, so whether you're looking at it from a team perspective, looking at it from a player perspective, uh, you're following your college team and you want to see where those guys are going or you want to see what your team needs in, in the next draft, uh, go to athlonsports.com. And I also run the draft site over at si.com, Sports Illustrated. So if you go to si.com slash NFL slash draft, you can find all my draft stuff there as well. He's a member of the Pro Football Writers Association of America as well as the football guy over at Athlon Sports, Luke Easterling. Nice enough to take some time with us. Luke, enjoy the final weeks of the regular season, and I hope we're talking to you into January. Hey, absolutely, guys. Enjoy it, and uh, happy holidays to you. You too. Right, same to you. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection, you can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Do you know, by the way, do you know who this woman, Joan Jett, had a relationship with like three years ago? Is this where you tell me it's Mike Tyson and we have the discussion of, you know, Mike Tyson being incarcerated here? We should ask Jeff Rabjohns if he would be surprised you didn't know that, but but we're not going to. But Jeff would side with me on that. Uh, no, I have no idea who. Carmen Electra. Hmm. Joan Jett and Carmen Electra were an item, apparently. Um, Learn something new every day. I know. How about Educate that, right? and entertain. That's what, that's what we try to do. Um, and in that case, get the mind going. Uh, Jeff Rabjohns joins us now, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so on that segue, uh, from, of course, Peaks.com. And Jeff... We're going to have you on to talk Indiana basketball last night. We've been talking a lot about the win over Michigan. But before we do that, I want to get your thoughts on, because you are all-encompassing when it comes to Indiana athletic knowledge, um, I will absolutely eat crow on this, Jeff Rabjohns. I thought Indiana 
was going to diddle-dally around and hire a committee and do a search and let every other coach get plucked and then end up with kind of a lackluster hire in their head football search. And I thought they hit a home run. I thought they got a guy that, quite frankly, I'm like, man, I'm surprised nobody else earlier had come in and swept, swooped in and taken Kurt Signetti. Um, and he's not holding, any, holding anything back so far. Your thoughts on the hire? It was a fantastic hire. Um, it, it's arguably uh, one of the better hires IU's made in its football history when you talk about somebody who has a track record and fits. Uh, it's certainly their best hire in the last three, four, five hiring cycles for them. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I was told about uh, somewhere around midway through the season, uh, somebody came to me and said, hey, Rabbi, just so you know, just so you're aware that uh, if this season goes south, uh, the buyout for Tom Allen will not prevent Indiana from making a change if they feel that's the right move. I said, oh, interesting, okay. Because the prevailing wisdom, you know, everybody thought, $20 million, you can't come up with that, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay. So I, uh, I called Matt Weaver, our lead football writer, who is fantastic covering IU football. But he knows so many people around the country from covering recruiting. And I said, hey, by the way, this is what I was told. And he said, oh, man. They should go get Kurt Signetti. I was like, who? Get Kurt Signetti. Like, Matt, who in the hell are you talking about? Who's Kurt Signetti? <laughs> and he's like, oh, the guy's from James Madison. I was like, what are you talking about? Go get somebody from James Madison? What? And I was like, okay, explain this to me. And he's like, listen, he goes to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. They're bad. He makes them good. He goes to Elon. They, 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 they've won, like, I can't remember what it was, but, like, very few games you know, I think it was something like 12 games in, in, in four years prior to Signetti's arrival. They went 14 in the two he's there. Yeah, he, he leaves and they buy matter. Twitter. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> yeah. And he then he goes to James Madison, which was a good FCS-level program. But he leads him in the transition to the FBS level and wins more at the FBS level than James Madison had before at the F- FCS level. So we were always like, look, he builds programs. He understands what it's like to work without, like, the most resources in, in the world. He understands what it's like to build a program. He understands what it's like to get players and have to develop them. He's had multiple quarterbacks win Offensive Player of the Year in his conference. Multiple quarterbacks mean not just different human beings, but different types of quarterbacks. He's had multiple thousand yards receivers as different kind of guys, some long threats, some more slot guys, what have you. He's like, this guy would have given me a chance to win become a regular bowl contender. He knows how to recruit. James Madison actually has a collective, so he understands the NIL space. And he was like, the guy they should go get is Kurt Signetti. And this was somewhere around the middle of the year. So I'm like, okay, all right, you sold me. I discreetly make a few phone calls and to some agents and folks and just try to find out, like, hey, what do you guys think? If you were Indiana, let me throw a name at you, and you give me a ranking, you know, A, B, C, D, F, higher. And I threw it out there, and they were all like, oh, that's an A-plus for Indiana, but I don't know if they can get him. That was the answer that I got. Outside of a couple people who were like, well, if Indiana's willing to pay, maybe. But James Madison ain't broke, and that dude's got a great situation. I said, okay. So, And then, lo and behold, you know, here we are a little bit later, and Indiana has Kurt Signetti as his head football coach. I think they did an absolutely fantastic job. And I think Scott Dolson – deserves a ton of credit because he, he put time into studying some things. And, you know, I even wrote about this um, week or so back. 
you know, he, he took some time studying programs that kind of had to get off the maps, off the map, so to speak, or programs where basketball history dwarfs football history, like a North Carolina, like a Duke, like a Kansas, teams that are winning now in football, but obviously they're more known for their basketball. And Scott Dolson put a ton of time in studying and getting to know people and finding out, okay, what does it take? What are the things that really work? What are important things? So Scott Dolson walked into this situation with a very clear plan. Here's the type of coach we need. We're going to talk to multiple people. And, you know, he's never said out loud, so I don't know if Signetti was number one on the list the whole time. I have my personal suspicions that was the case. I do not know. But it was a really clearly focused search. And, and like you said, you know, Indiana University has got to be one of the leaders in the country at the production and manufacture of BS red tape. You know, it's like, all right, what kind of toilet paper should we need? Well, I'll buy. I don't, I don't know. Let's form a committee. Yeah, I, let's study yeah. it and let's get to I'm, I'm like, committee, committee, committee. It's like Indiana University, get rid of some of the daggum committees. And they did this without a committee, you know. And I think Scott Dolson deserves a lot of credit for the fact that this was a very streamlined and very focused process. Where do you think, Jeff, or do we know, was it rainy day fund money? Was there a specific booster? And I'm not saying that we would know the name, but, like, do you think one person stepped up and said, here's the buyout money? Uh, Did they take it from it? You know, where did the money come from? Or did they have it all along and we just were naive? No, I, I think there are um, – how can I phrase this? I think there are options. I think there are options because um, there, are, there, are, there is some booster money there that could be used if necessary. There's some money as uh, television revenues increased that could be used or even borrowed against. Uh, there's mechanisms that we've seen from you know, some SEC schools in the past where a university on paper has loaned its athletic department money and blah, 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 and then the accountants do this and that over the next three, four, five years. So from, from my understanding, um, yeah, I think there are options at this point in time. But um, negotiating the buyout down was always a part of the plan, as it's been explained to me. I do not know that for sure, but that's what I was told. And I was also told that, like, no, this is not going to hurt the varsity club or anybody else or NIL. There are some options here for IU moving forward as far as, you know, paying the the two installments, $7.75 million, uh, to uh, Coach Tom Allen over the next two years. And here's the thing. Not only did Kurt Signetti get his win the press conference, Jeff, as we talked about before we get to basketball – uh, clearly, they gave him note cards on what to say when he went out at midcourt at Assembly Hall, right? Yeah, you know, I I thought that was fantastic uh, for a new coach to do, uh, and, and here's why I think that. And for those um, unfamiliar, yeah. he went out to midcourt. He was introduced. He waved to the crowd, and then, by all account, he told Andy and Kevin on the morning show spontaneously. He just said, "You know what." And he said the line of, like, Purdue sucks, and everybody cheers. And then he goes, and by the way, so do Ohio State and Michigan. I'm paraphrasing, but um, – yeah. and the crowd went bonkers, right? Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was a great move, and here's why. He's not really saying sucks as in, like, an evaluation of their program. He's using the word sucks like I don't like him, you know? And oh, what yeah, was he yeah. doing by, by saying that? He was immediately identifying with IU fans. He's like, oh, you guys, who don't you like? You don't like Purdue? Hey, me neither. Oh, what, what do you guys have to deal with for years in the Big Ten East? They had to deal with Michigan, Ohio State. You sick of that crap? Yeah, me too. 
So I, I thought it was a great move. He, in about five seconds of speaking, in his very first public appearance outside of a press conference, but his first time talking to a large group of IU fans, I thought he did a phenomenal job of identifying himself with IU fans in, 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 a, in, a, in a way that IU fans cheered and absolutely loved. I mean, Purdue fans spend a fair portion of literally any game they ever play, regardless of Indiana's playing against them or not, with an IU sucks chance. So I feel like all bets are off in terms of that type of back and forth between the, the two programs. It's well established, and I too enjoyed it, Jeff. I have one last question about Signetti. You mentioned he's won everywhere that he's been. Well, what's the again? It's been first year success at times. Like he 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 had eight wins more than the previous head coach at James Madison when they got there. He turned Elon around. They won like four conference games over a four-year span before he got there. What would winning be in his first year at Indiana, assuming it's a jump start out of the gate? What is a realistic bar for Kurt Signetti year one at IU? If he gets to a bowl game, it's a home run. If, if you go to a bowl game at Indiana in football, it, it's a good year. I don't care if it's the – who gives a crap dot com bowl? You know, it's like if you go to a bowl, that's a good season. And if he gets them to a bowl in year one, that's that's a really good season. I want to shift now towards basketball last night. Look at Michigan as a whole. I'm I'm not one to poo-poo any win in conference, especially in the Big Ten. And I give a lot of credit to Mike Woodson for the fact that they've now beaten Michigan in four straight meetings. But 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 as you look at Michigan and where they're at currently what is the quality of that win long-term for the 2023-24 Hoosiers? Well, I mean, we'll see. You know, it's just the first two. These are the two December Big Ten games. Right. So exactly what it's going to project to be, you don't know. That's going to depend upon, you know, how Doug McDaniel plays moving forward for Michigan. You know, how do they play? Are they moving forward going to be more like the team that beat St. John's in Madison Square Garden, or are they going to be more like the team they lost at home to Long Beach. Um, we don't know. Um, but I think for, for Indiana, the biggest thing is, you know, uh, it, it's, it's Indiana starting to win games they should win or could win. And we've all seen over the past four or five years or so, you know, Indiana lose games. So you look at and go, shouldn't have lost that one, you know. And so Indiana's sitting there, you know, with only one loss. And, and the one loss is to UConn, a team that's clearly playing like a Final Four contender, if not a title contender. And... Um, but they're, they're winning the games they're supposed to win. And they're, they're, they're beating Big Ten teams they're supposed to be. Uh, so I think that, that, that's the biggest thing for Indiana, that they're the, you know, they are winning the games that they're supposed to win, or should win, could win, however you want to phrase it. And, you know, they're not stubbing, they haven't stubbed their toe yet. And, and that's a really good sign. That in itself is actually a sign of progress when you look at some of the times Indiana has stubbed its toe over the past four or five years. Jeff, what's Indiana's Achilles at this point? If – if Mike Woodson is, you know, in the cave, to use that term in Assembly Hall, late at night watching film, he is looking at what as the area, and aside from three-point shooting, I guess, that's going to be the obvious, but um, maybe an area that they have the personnel to do it, but so far just schematically or execution-wise have not done so. What, aside from three-point shooting, jumps out? Uh, just overall guard play. You know, certainly with Xavier Johnson out. Um, you know, their overall guard play. I think it was 22 minutes into the game last night, and IU's starting backcourt uh, combined for two points, uh, which puts an enormous burden on your front court. Now, IU's front court has been tremendous. You know, Kalel Ware, 
went in the Michigan game averaging almost 18 points per game. That's almost triple the 6.6 he averaged last year. Malik Renault, as Coach Hurley of UConn said, that dude's a killer. And, you know, his ability to uh, function when you need him, you know, there were a couple times down the stretch, they put him on the block, threw it to him, cleared out. Michigan brought the double team, and he used perfect technique, banged the defender behind him, stepped through the double team, and scored with the game pretty much on the line, or at least the game in the balance. Um, and, and McKenzie and Baco, you know, he's now getting in double figures. He's got a tremendous amount of offensive potential. Uh, got to realize it at some point, but there is skill there. So when your guard play is, is, is suspect or not really producing, it puts a ton of pressure on the front card. Now, Mike Woodson will tell you, and I know he will tell you this because I've asked a couple times, like basically they're going to play to their strengths. If the front court he thinks can dominate in a game, they are going to go to the front court. But at some point in time, obviously, guard play has to be a little more productive. You know, um, Trey Galloway's, you know, three-point shooting obviously hasn't been where it was last year. Indiana needs him to sort of regain that form. Um, needs to get Xavier Johnson healthy. That would certainly help them because Xavier Johnson is the one guard that Indiana has who can really turn the corner and get into the paint on a ball screen. You know, Gabe Cups did a really good job last night in running the offense and not turning it over. He had one turnover in 32 minutes in his first start on the road, and it was a Big Ten road venue. I know Michigan's not great. I get that. We're still talking about a freshman, first road start, one turnover, 32 minutes, um, while also having to guard a guy uh, like Doug McDaniel who went off for 30-some points the the previous game. Uh, But overall, I think, you know, the thing that for Indiana is guard play – um, and three-point shooting. And, and there was certainly some encouraging signs last night when you look at what C.J. Gunn did. Um, you know, hitting two threes, uh, getting four steals. You get four steals from a guard or wing off the bench, that is tremendous defensive impact. And you look at some of the advanced analytics as far as overall impact in the game, uh, that counts, you know, scoring, rebounding, passing, uh, plus, minus while you're on the court, all that put together – the player last night's game who had the best analytical impact was C.J. Gunn. So they start getting those kind of performances from C.J. Gunn. That really does help their guard play as well. I mean, if you get last night's C.J. Gunn with any regularity, now you've got a whole nother option coming off the bench um, at, at the guard position, wing position, whatever you want to call C.J. Um, but overall, to answer your question, Guard play continuing to step step forward, you know, each week, each month. That would certainly really help Indiana's chances, you know, as you as you look toward March. Jeff, when Jeff Rabjohns is our guest, when Xavier Johnson first had the foot injury and came out and he was wearing a boot, uh, I was told at that time they thought, you know, it was possible that it was going to be a four game injury. Where do things stand? What are you hearing in terms of when he may be back? Uh, to be determined at this point, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you got to see how it heals. And, you know, we, we've all been around sports long enough to see foot injuries that, like, sometimes it's like, okay, it was a week. Uh, we've also seen some of them where, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it takes a few weeks. So at this point in time, it's kind of to be determined. I know it's a terrible answer here on radio, but that's kind of where it's at. So, you know, it's like – I was told, I, I, you know, I talked to some people and they were like, got to see how he heals, you know, no, no idea. So might be short term, you know, might be, you know, a few weeks, just got to see how it heals. I, right now, I don't think it's going to be like long term. I don't think it's going to last until like January, February or anything. But as far as, you know, exactly when he's going to be back, 
to be determined. Is McKenzie Mbako the kind of player, Jeff, and, and I assume you probably watched a lot of him before he you know, was wearing an Indiana jersey just in the trail before he got to Indiana, strikes me as the kind of guy that kind of just needs to be turned loose. In other words, like he has the athleticism and the basketball instinct, especially from a quick release standpoint, to be able to just kind of go as opposed to get too reeled in. Uh, am I too Freudian in that analysis? No, no, uh, I don't think so at all. Uh, I, I think I think there's a strong uh, case to, to be made for that um, because he is about six seven, six eight. Um, he makes threes. Uh, he played a terrific uh, program, uh, Roselle Catholic, out there in New Jersey. Uh, was a McDonald's All American. Um, you know, he, he he was really, really, really productive. You know, nineteen point five, ten point six rebounds, three assists, a junior, similar numbers as a senior. Just really, really, really productive. And uh, those are the kind of guys who you want them to get into a rhythm. You know, they, maybe they start the game one for four. You're like, okay, so what? He may hit five of the next six. And that's another thing that I think as, as, as he gets more comfortable, as maybe Mike Woodson just gets more comfortable utilizing him, uh, running some things for him. You know, I, I think he's a guy who, you know, has the, he has the most potential to, quote, go off in a game uh, of any of the IU players other than Kelly Ware. Um, and where has the most potential right now? Because he can score inside and occasionally can step out and hit a three. But McKenzie and Baca, I mean, we all saw, you know, the pin downs that Indiana's run for him. You know, he, he's four for four on those shots. You know, so you look at it and go, okay, well, what happens if you run that for him four times a game instead of one? What happens if, you know, you run that and the other team starts jumping it and then you hit him on a back door? And then, you know, I mean, that, that shooting form is just it, – it's, it's, it's textbook. You know, everything's lined up from heels to hips to hands. You know, um, he, he's got a lot of potential. So I think you're right that the more offensive opportunities you get for him, the more opportunity you give him to go out and all of a sudden have a 18, 20, 22-point game. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Jeff Rabjohnthepigs.com, nice enough to take a few minutes with us. Jeff, when you look at IU in totality, 25% from beyond the arc this season, opponents are shooting 32%. Now that's mainly backwatered by some of their early contests and of course the loss at UConn. But when you look at a two-game sample size, I get it against two teams that aren't necessarily top of the Big Ten this year, but they're 33% from beyond the arc, and they're only allowing teams 18% from that same range. I know that number specifically isn't sustainable defensively, but when you mentioned earlier that Coach Woodson wants them to play to their strengths, which is dominating points in the paint, high action, high percentile when they're right at the rim or right at the cup, if they're able to do that while getting marginally better from beyond the arc and even close to 30% or less from beyond the arc from a defensive rating, is that good enough to get where they want to go this year? Or do they need even 
further steps forward in both those categories, offensively from beyond the arc and defensively from downtown? That'd get him really close. That'd get him really close. And um, I assume in this equation, we're just going to kind of assume that IU's front court continues to play well. Right. Um, but yeah, if you make that assumption, you know, uh, Indiana shooting 33%, obviously you want that to be more like 35, 36 if you can. Um, but, you know, if, if, you know, one more three per game in each of the last two games, and the number of the percentages are incredibly different. So it's like, okay, three for nine, not ideal. You double it, six for 18, six for 18 isn't great. But eight for 18 is dang good. You know, so it's like they're really close. And, and again, you know, they didn't have Xavier Johnson. Uh, who's five for 10 from three. Not a big sample size, but his percentage is good. You get C.J. Gunn going, get a McKenzie and Baco going a little bit. You know, one more three per game. I mean, four for nine from three sounds and looks mathematically a lot different than, than three for nine. So, you know, you know, you take it and you double it. Three for nine, double it. Six for 18. Not great, but not terrible. Um, but all of a sudden, if that's, you know, if those are four for nines and you double that, eight for 18, that's, that's good. I mean, I, I, you know, they do have chances to improve from three. And the other thing is, uh, and you guys know this from being around the Big Ten a long time, the Big Ten's incredibly well scouted. If opponents don't even think you're going to take threes, they're not even really going to game plan to go out and get you. And as the season moves along, and we saw this under the Archie Miller era, an Archie Miller era, Indiana opponents, their defense, it was like maybe a step beyond the arc. Then it was at the arc. Then it was a step inside the arc. And the space for interior players, post players, baseline players, really got so congested that they had problems operating. So one of the things you want to do is at least when opponents scout you, make them believe that you're capable of hitting a three here or there, and they need to come out and get you, or at least step to the arc, one step past the arc. So I think it would help IU for the, the, the three-point attempts to, you know, nine's not enough moving forward. Now, you don't have to go out there and do like some teams that bomb 25 to 28 a game. But, you know, if you can get that number to even for IU, even if they're not going to take a ton, get it to 15 to 18, you know, that, that could help McKenzie and Baco, Kalel Ware and Malik Renault. Just give them a little more space, a little less congestion, so they have a chance to operate as well. So I think it's, I think it's two things going on at the same time. Jeff, you and I have had – Jeff Rabjohns is our guest talking IU basketball here. You and I have had, I don't know, over the years, what would you say, five, ten conversations on the phone that just kind of shoot in the bowl that usually last like 45 minutes, something like that. Maybe like – Every oh, yeah. six months or so, yeah. right? So, Great so conversations you, too, right? And so you know that that my brain just works sometimes completely randomly and and like just on a di- like out of left field, right? So I'm going to give you a left field question, okay? All right. I'm curious of this. You've traveled around the Big Ten. You've been in different arenas. You've seen the different fan bases, football, basketball, all of it. Hypothetically speaking, let's say that that. The 247 Sports Network Peaks, they come to you and they go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a fun little thing where each of you is going to spend a year in the shoes of one of your contemporaries for a different Big Ten program. So we're going to pull one out of a hat and you, Jeff, are going to have to do exactly what you do with Indiana, but for a different Big Ten team for the year. Based on 
just the fans, the people seem pretty cool. It's a cool place to live. The arena's cool. What Big Ten program is the one that if they told you that, you'd go, you know what, that's cool. I can live with that. That'd be cool for a year. Which one are you picking? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um, nobody's ever asked me anything like that before. That's a nice question, Jake. I'm sitting here thinking, we're counting, I would be covering football and basketball. Yep. Let's say primarily hoops. I, guess. I mean, kind of the, the same. Well, you do both for Indiana, so. Okay, if we're taking both into account. Um, By the way, this is not uh, expansion so we're not going Oregon, Washington, UCLA, USC. This is Big Ten as it stands right now. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, what we got right now, yeah. Otherwise, you know, you pick one of the L.A. schools. Just <laughs> yeah, go to, I'll take UCLA it. for 100, please, Alex. <laughs> yeah, Ravi, we're going we're gonna to pay you, but we're going to let you go live in L.A. for free for a year. Hey, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, man, I'm trying to think of where I would actually probably take. You know, I, I, part of me would lean Michigan State because of what Izzo does with his basketball teams most years. Uh, as far as their teams that usually grow over the course of the year. And not all at the same rate, not all end up at the same destination, but some of those final four teams that he had. You're right. You know, they stub, they stubbed their toe in November, even in December. Sometimes even in January, looked at him and said, ah, yeah, they might get to the Sweet 16, they're all right. And then all of a sudden, he really gets it figured out. And I think covering Tom Izzo's basketball team day-to-day would be fascinating. Um, obviously, Michigan State with football, with you know, they've had off-the-field issues that would be unpleasant. They're I think Michigan State – and, look, but. I know that Michigan State Athletics has had its, its, you know, its issues. But I'll be honest, Jeff, like, I've always gotten the impression that Michigan State, like, in the state of Michigan, that just, like, normal, cool, laid-back people are Michigan State fans. Like, they just seem like decent dudes. You know what I mean? And, and women. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've always gotten the sense Michigan State seems like it's, it's athletic programs – are a little more for the regular folk. Right, right. You know, Michigan's crowd just seems a little more yeah. like high end. Oh, Even like last night, there were there were some, you know, people who were like, I was like, are you going to the club with Buffy for drinks after? What are we dressed <laughs> up for? What's going on here? Right. Um, oh yeah. And, and everybody right has the right to be, you know, if you got millions of dollars, spend it, have a great time. I'm not, I'm not denigrating anybody. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to think of. I would probably pick Michigan State. I, th- I think that's who I would probably pick. Um, you know, Ohio State football is really interesting just from the uh, standpoint. Yeah, but do you really want to be around those nut jobs? Come on, man. Hell no. <laughs> that's all yeah. you. you. You have at, man. Traffic in Columbus would, sucks, too. No way. All right, how about this, Jeff? That's, that's a Big Ten school in a city, and it's like I think the better Big Ten schools are in are in. Towns, of course. I, mean, I understand they're all cities, but it's more like you know East Lansing to me. More, I would call it more a college town than city. You know, it's like Columbus is Columbus, even if you took Ohio State and moved it to wherever Akron, who knows? You know, but I, I like college towns. I think college towns are fun. Okay, so I would probably. I think I'd probably leave Michigan State. Here's my last one for you. I always ask my buddies this: whether they're an IU or a Purdue fan. Okay. If you're a fan of Indiana or Purdue, you obviously want to see Indiana or Purdue win the Big Ten. Who do you think is the most innocuous, harmless Big Ten program that if they were to win the Big Ten, the highest percentage of Indiana or Purdue fans would go, yeah, that's cool. I got no problem with them. If we can't win it, that's cool. I'm happy for them. What school is it? 
uh, you're you're assuming there's a proportion of either one of those fan bases who is ambivalent toward anything related to Nintendo. Well, true, but if you had to pick one, like like Indiana fans, I grew up an Indiana fan, right? I didn't like Purdue because I was an Indiana fan. Um, but I didn't like Michigan because I couldn't stand Antoine Jobert and Bill Frieder. I didn't like they were you know there were there were other programs that there was definitely a Illinois you know was a rivalry between Knight and Henson, so, and there were so the one program that that offers the least rivalry nature to it. And we're assuming programs that matter in basketball because I think like if like if Penn State had some miraculous run. I think people will be like, okay, yeah, I, they had their run. Okay, that's a they good answer. Cinderella I, year. I whatever. would say Minnesota. I, I, like, does anybody really hate Minnesota? Go. That Gophers kind of cute. Their colors are like you know what they play in a cool arena. It's like nine hundred degrees below zero, so you feel sorry for people there. Like Minnesota's fine, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I think you know Minnesota would be all right. Penn State would be all right because I don't think people would get up in arms like, and I don't think there's anything about either one of those that, that's that's clearly hateable. Right, like, right. like you said, like right. with, 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 in, whether you're looking at a perspective of Indiana or Purdue, there's something they could pick out about like Michigan we don't like, about Michigan State we don't like, about Ohio State, oh, we don't like them. You know, you know they took that Mata and he took Indiana players and we don't like them. And there's reasons for either of those fan bases to dislike Wisconsin. You know, people are like, I don't like Bo Ryan. That, you know, you know everybody, you know, the right face guy. And I'm like, well, who really cares what it looks like? It ain't right. his fault. I mean, come on, you know. But people didn't like Wisconsin. You know, they didn't. There were there were there were reasons. I don't know if they're really reasons, but there were factors that led to the fan bases not liking certain schools. Yeah, I would say Minnesota or Penn State probably, if they wanted, people would shrug their shoulders and go, "Okay, whatever." Prior to 2023 calendar year, could I have said Northwestern safely? I feel like that's now off the table with yeah. Purdue, but like, couldn't I have probably well, said and that? Purdue, North, and Minnesota's a house of horrors for Purdue as yeah, well. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, you know, Northwestern could play, though, right? Yeah. Like, all of a sudden now, Northwestern could play. Jeff, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll continue reading you on peaks.com. Thanks, man. You guys have a great week.